This is the Purpose Church podcast where we exist to help every person live on purpose. It is our prayer that this message helps you experience God in a brand new way. Amen. Amen. Today we're starting a brand new series called For the One. Everybody say that out loud. Say, For the One. Come on, say it out loud. Say, for the one. Now, a little quiet in this Presbyterian church. I just got to wake you up a little bit, all right? So you got to help me out a little bit. For the one. For the one. There is something powerful about that number. And it was burning in our heart to provide this series for us because I believe that the Capital C Church has, is regrouping and is refocusing our church as well. Throughout 2020, we all had a pretty interesting year, pretty rough year in a lot of ways. And I believe it would be really easy for all of us to point to all of the things that went wrong in 2020. It'd be really easy for us to point to all of the things that, uh, you know, all, all the, the things, all the events that were canceled, all the trips that were canceled, and the proms and graduations, and it'd be easy to point to all of that. But I believe that God works in all things. That in all circumstances, God is moving. And even, even in the middle of what we've walked through in the last year, we see that God was doing something powerful. That God will take what the enemy planned for evil and use it for good. Somebody say amen to that. So we wanted to share with you this series called For the One. For the next four weeks, we're going to be diving into why that number is important. Every one of us have a difference to make in the life of another person. None of us, according to Scripture, are exempt from making a difference in the life of another person. Every one of you were created on purpose, for a purpose, to do something powerful in the world, to do, to, to do something meaningful with your life, to make a difference in the life of another person. We believe that with all of our hearts. We believe that you were created on purpose for a purpose, and that God brought you on purpose to the purpose church to accomplish a purpose. Do you get it? And so we believe this with all of our hearts. It's ingrained in us. And sometimes we need a reset. Sometimes we need to kind of hit a reset button and refocus. And I needed one of those resets and one of those refocuses about five weeks ago. Five weeks ago, we had just finished service, and we had just moved to two ser- back to two services. We had been pre-corona. We had been at two services for four years. And then uh, when we came back into having services uh, in September, we started with one, went back to two. And we were, we were uh, grateful to need to do that. When we left uh, church that day, I, I, was, I was feeling pretty down in the dumps that day. Every pastor wants to quit, by the way, on Sunday night or Monday morning. It's just normal. It's just normal. So I, 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 was, I was fighting those things back and, and, and really having a hard time speaking truth into that emotion I was feeling. Anybody ever been there before when you're feeling a certain emotion, but you're having a hard time bringing truth to it? I was having one of those moments. I texted some of my buddies, and, and you know, you, you got to have friends that know what you're going through. And so I have some pastor friends around town and even guys around the country, and I just texted them, pray for me, this is what's going on, this is what I'm feeling today. And one guy texted back, he's like, well, did at least one person show up? <laughs> I, said, I said, yeah, at least one person showed up, and I'm married to her. That's the one who showed up. That's the one who showed up. We had just had like one of our worst attended services that we've had in five years, and I, I was feeling pretty, pretty down in the dumps about it. And I know that there's all of the, the, the factors involved and, you know, anytime the news says something to scare everybody, they stay home again. And it just, and I was fighting all of those aggravations about it too and, and, and just, and how I was fighting those feelings of, man, anytime people leave here, they're hearing so many negative things, it just is dragging everybody down. And pastors are not exempt, we feel it too. We feel the drag. And... And I was just all up in my feels that day. And, and I, I'm in the heart triad in the Enneagram. So I feel everything first. So it goes through my feelings first. And I was feeling it all. I was feeling it all. I was leaning into my wing four real hard that day. And, and I just needed a reset, but I didn't know it. 
And so Kelly and I were having this very unusual moment where all three kids were playing and not fighting and leaving us alone. So we decided to have a conversation. And as we were talking, I shared with her my feelings and, and what was going on in, in my head. And I just, I, I needed to share with her just like, I, I wanted to be accountable. This is what's going on. This is what I'm thinking. Just aggravated. I'm aggravated at the attendance. I'm aggravated at, 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 at the, the, the people who have left and not come back. I'm aggravated at what the future might look like or might not look like. I'm, I'm, I'm aggravated this, aggravated. I just was saying it all. She just sat there and looked at me, and I kept going, I kept going, I kept going. And she was like, oh, my God, you know, just making this face. And she's like, really, really, you know. And, and when I got to a stopping point, um, we, we kind of came to this realization that we, we need to bring some truth to this. We need a reset. Obviously, that's not all that's going down. You ever been in a moment where you're just feeling all of those, uh, those feelings, and you just need that reset? And so I, I was having one of those moments, and then the, then the kids started fighting, or they came downstairs or something, so we went right back into parent mode. So conversation ended. And it was one of those nights where I just needed to go to bed early. You ever have one of those days where you're just like, it's better for all of y'all and for me that I go to bed? You know, it was, just, it was one of those days. So, so I, I went off to bed, and it was, it was early. I think it was right when the kids went down, and I went to bed. And that night, something happened to me. That night, something happened to provide a reset. And God in his loving kindness did that for me. And I want to share with you what it, what it was. I'm, I wouldn't consider myself a, a dreamer. I don't, I don't have dreams and remember them. Some of y'all, you dream all the time. And you have crazy dreams. And, and, and who in here has crazy dreams all the time? They make no sense. Yeah, yeah, y'all have crazy dreams like... I don't even want to guess, but like the Care Bears were in it. I don't know what happened in your dream, but, you know, Power Rangers are fighting something, and, and somehow your spouse is involved, and I don't know. It just gets crazy. And then you ladies have dreams where the guy cheats on you. We didn't even know. It's not our fault. You wake up mad. We didn't do anything. It's just, it's the bad burrito you had the night before. It's not our fault, you know. So, so give us a break. Give us a break. Some of y'all have dreams all the time. I don't have dreams. Like I, I go to bed and I wake up. And I've, in my life, I've had three dreams that I remember. The first dream I had, I was, I was a little kid and King Kong stole our Christmas tree. I will never, <laughs> ever forget that dream. It was so vivid to me that I called 911 in the middle of the night because they needed to come save our family from King Kong. The police showed up, banged on the door, woke my parents up. I was in big trouble after that. <laughs> that was the first dream I remember. And the second dream I had was Kelly and I were on staff as youth pastors at a former church. And, and, and I remember having this dream where I was driving a 15-passenger van because what, you know, what youth pastor doesn't think about 15-passenger vans. And, and I was driving this 15-passenger van up a mountain. And, you know, one of those kind of scary kind of roads where you're kind of on the edge and you know, and I've got all, you know, all these people in the van, and, you know, even though they've signed medical release forms, I'm still scared. You know, it's like, I, like I'm a little bit nervous. And people kept telling me, stop the van, stop the van. And so I'd stop the van, they would get out of the van, shut the door, we'd keep going. Stop the van! They'd get out of the van, shut the door, keep going. That happened until there was only a couple of people in the van left once we got to the top. And I remember God very clearly telling me, not everybody is meant to go the distance with you. Not everybody is meant to go to the top with you. Some people are there for a season, and then some people are there for a lifetime. And, and that was in a, a moment where we were having a lot of leadership issues, and that was a reassuring word from God that you will still get to the top, and I've already preordained who will help you get there. So we, it taught us to rest in his plan and stop fighting to keep people, but just rest in his plan and let God handle it. The third dream happened five weeks ago. After all of my belly aching and all of my, my aggravations being poured out to my loving, supportive spouse, I went to sleep and had such a vivid dream. It, 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 you ever had a dream where you wake up and you were like, how was that a dream? Like I f 
It felt so real. Like you wake up shaking or you're shaking or you wake up sweating or, you, you, you know, you've had those, those feelings, those experiences. I, I woke up and it felt like it was so real. In my dream, I was in the church office and I'm standing in the hallway right next to my office door and right next to my office door hangs this map. And in the dream, I, I'm, I'm standing there with my Expo marker, and I'm looking at the map, I'm circling stuff, I'm writing stuff down, I'm stepping back looking at it, I'm highlighting zip codes. And, but my, my attitude in this moment, because you know how it is to like feel a dream, my attitude in this moment, my feeling in that moment was not like a feeling of, we're going to strategize to take the hill or... Let's, let's, let's inspire people to do this. I, I was aggravated in that moment. And I'm, and I'm circling stuff and I'm drawing arrows and it's this map in my dream. And then I'm standing right here on this side of the map and I'm drawing, I'm looking around and there's, there's really, there's no thankfulness involved. There's no prayer involved. There's, there's nothing really good. I'm just aggravated looking at the map. And then Jesus shows up and is standing right next to me. And I look over at Jesus, and he's staring at the map. Except he's smiling, and I'm not. And I look at Jesus, and I'm aggravated he's smiling. <laughs> so then I just blow him off, and I keep doing my thing. And, and I, I begin to tell Jesus in my dream everything that I had told Kelly that day. And he just let me talk, kept smiling at me while, while I'm just laying all this out. And he, when I'm done talking, finally, he puts his arm around me and he, and he quotes Matthew 9, 36 through 38, 37. And that's where we're going today if you want to look it up. And he says, Landon, the harvest is huge and ripe. The harvest is huge and ripe. Now, it was those words exactly, which in, I, I, read, I read and study out of the New American Standard. I grew up on the King James Version. So that wasn't very churchy language. There was no these or thous or thines. It was just the harvest is huge and ripe. And then he poofs away. He disappears. And then I wake up. So I begin to, ne the next morning, study this out. Turns out that that exact language is out of a new translation called the Passion Translation. And I read Matthew 9, 37 in the Passion Translation. And let's, I want to read it to you today in whole context, Matthew 9, 36 to 38. When Jesus saw the vast crowds of people, Jesus' heart was deeply moved with, everyone say it out loud, compassion. Because the people seemed weary and helpless like wandering sheep without a shepherd. He turned to his disciples and said, the harvest is huge and ripe. But there are not enough harvesters to bring it all in. As you go, plead with the owner of the harvest to thrust out more reapers to the harvest to harvest his grain. And I, for one, I, I was I was really really glad that those exact words that I heard. I went to the office that day, grabbed my marker, and wrote it down on the top of this map. And I was really glad to know this was like word for word one of the translations of the Bible. And then I began to study out. The, the descriptors of the sheep. He, he called them, in, in the Passion Translation, weary and helpless. Weary and helpless. And that, that's translated in all kinds of different ways um, in, in all, all, a bunch of different translations. Now remember, I'm aggravated in, in my dream in the beginning, and then Jesus leaves, but then when I woke up, there was, there, was a, there was a different feeling. There was a different feeling. There was like this spiritual energy that had been put into 
the moment. It's, it's like I took a, a Holy Ghost five-hour energy drink. And, and it just, it, it woke something up. And I began to study out uh, even more the demographics, all of the populations, which is what I was working on here, and going into census reports and, and just really geeking out. I was just getting really deep into it. And as I began to study that out even more, I kept hearing the Lord say, they are harassed and helpless. They're weary and helpless. I didn't know exactly who he was talking about. Because remember, I was, I was really down in, in the gutter for a minute, just not feeling really good, just wondering, like many pastors and business leaders have throughout 2020, is, is this really what we're supposed to be doing? Kelly and I know quite a few churches who closed their doors forever last year. Churches much bigger than ours. Churches that had vision and passion at one time. Churches that had buildings and full-time staff shut their doors. 1,500 pastors per month are quitting the ministry. Over 1,400 churches per year are shutting their doors forever in the United States. So we're on the path to look like Europe if something doesn't change. And I I believe that God in his loving kindness, aren't you glad when he does something in his kindness for you? When you're belly aching and kind of being a jerk, God still is nice. And he shows up in your dreams and he doesn't berate you. He brings truth to your problem. And I needed that moment for him to bring truth to my problem. As Kelly and I are trying to figure out how do we navigate this whole pandemic thing. They don't teach you any of that in Bible school. How do we navigate this? How do we deal with this? And God, what, where were you in all of those moments? Show us, show us what you were doing in those moments. Show us what you were doing when these venues closed and these people said no to us moving in. And, and show us what you were doing when our trailers got stolen. Show God. What were you doing? And I I began to think back to all of those moments. And it was right before Corona hit. We got kicked out of Noah's event venue because of their Ponzi scheme. So a federal judge shut down their corporation forever. And we got booted. We end up at Regal Cinemas in Live Oak. After the pandemic, then they shut down. And then we end up at the hotel, right, across the parking lot with terrible parking. And then people pushing carts along plush carpet, which is really, really hard to do. Trying to have church in there. Wasn't really working out. And then we end up here in a charter school's multi-purpose room. It's okay to ask God, what are you doing? It's okay to ask that. God, what are you doing? What are you up to? What are you trying to teach us here? The harvest is huge and ripe. And in the next day, I repented to God for me believing statistics over his word. The statistics for the North American churches throughout the pandemic is that one-third of your people are still with you. This was hundreds of thousands of people surveyed across thousands of churches and denominations, cross-cultural, top to bottom, left to right of the country. A third of your people are still with you. A third of your people went to another church or go to multiple churches online. And a third of your people have quit church altogether. So every North American church lost 66% of their people on day one of the pandemic. And in a, in a moment, everything we thought was church completely changed. I remember being in the church office and we were kind of scrambling, like, how do we, what do we do? Like, we got to figure out how to live stream. We got to, what are we doing? Like, someone, someone smart figure this out. And then we all looked at Ethan. <laughs> and we, we didn't have church for seven months. And then we start back slow. Moving, moving forward week to week to week to week. 
trying our best. So we, we followed those statistics pretty well. Our church is about a third of the size it was last year. But the harvest is huge and ripe. Why would he tell me that? Because I was focusing on what I could see, and he needed me to focus on what I couldn't see. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And I was convicted to the core that I had lost my faith for the future. That's why I was bellyaching about the present. And some of us are bellyaching about the present right now. We have lost our dreams that God put in our heart. And we've allowed the news and everybody to tell us what's important instead of letting God remind us who's important. And so it totally reset my thinking. And so I began to study out the descriptors of the sheep. Look up on the screen. He said that they were harassed and helpless. That's in the ESV. That's a, that's a decent translation. I'm going to get down to the one that I, I, I think is the best based on the original language. New King James says they were wearied and scattered. That's a better translation. New American Standard says they were distressed and downcast. Now, this is talking about the sheep. Like they, this is what Jesus, with, with a heart full of compassion and eyes full of compassion, he looked at the sheep, and this is what he surveyed. They were confused and helpless. They were weary and wandering. This is the best translation according to the original text. They were distressed and scattered. Everyone say scattered. They were distressed and scattered. Have you ever watched National Geographic Channel and the lioness is chasing the wildebeest? And it's always like the little wildebeest or, or a sick wildebeest who's alone and away from the herd. And for all of you animal lovers in the room, you're like, no! Go, baby wildebeest, go! Go! And the lioness is just <laughs> going for it. The wildebeest dies. Just so you know, he gets eaten. The circle of life, he gets eaten. The devil roar, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, not seeking whom he may mess with a little bit, seeking who he may make life a little hard for, no, 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 seeking whom he may devour. So the coward that the devil is will only go for those who are scattered. What did corona do to the church? Scattered it. In one second, everything was scattered. And for a pastor whose whole life is dedicated to gathering sheep, that's a pretty scary place to be. And we're trying to figure out, God, how do we keep people together, and Kelly and I would do these late-night family hang times where we get on Facebook and just act a fool. If y'all remember that, it was sad. <laughs> a little scary, sometimes inappropriate, but you stayed online, so you had the choice to log off, and you didn't. Um, we did everything we could to keep people connected because the devil was trying to scatter everybody. The sheep are distressed and scattered. And as I began to look at the sheep and I began to think about what I can't see, could it be, could it be that when we launched our church over here at Tejeda Middle School, that was not by choice, by the way, that was by necessity, when we launched over here, then five months later, we got kicked out because the theater director didn't like the way I set her lights up. So she kicks us out. We end up at Noah's event venue for four years. And we rode that roller coaster of hell for four years with their management. They get shut down because they're immoral and ran a Ponzi scheme. 
we end up over here. Who was here at the beginning of the church in launch season, pre-launch season? We hadn't even had a service. Raise your hand up. You're the OGs. You've been here six years. You believed in the dream before there was ever a church. Where did we meet for every launch team meeting? The Shirts Civic Center. We had planned to launch in Shirts. Even the mayor of Shirts was having meetings with me to help me find a building. And he told me, it was uh, Mayor Carpenter at the time, he told me, Landon, unless you build one or you've got $10 million laying around, there's nowhere for you to launch in Shirts. I was like, well, you would probably know. Um, I don't like what you're saying right now, though. Could it be that what looked like doors closing for us, having five mobile venues in five years, was God inching us back to where we were supposed to start in the first place? Gathering sheep along the way, gathering an army along the way to bring a life-giving expression of Jesus to this chunk of the city first. Could it be? It's plausible, right? Could it be? That God shows up in the dream, says, Landon, because this blue line was already here in the dream. I had already drawn that. And then Jesus points to the middle of the blue line and says, the harvest is huge and ripe. Within a five-mile radius of this red dot of where you and I are sitting right now, there's 385,000 people in just five miles of this red dot. I wonder if we stopped putting our eyes on what we've lost and we start putting our eyes on what Jesus was seeing, if it would change our attitude about everything. If it would change our vision level, our attitude. If it, I believe it would change everything. But some of us, myself included, have fallen victim to Everything the news is saying, everything to drag you down, it, all of this and that, and these people are fighting these people. And there's so much going on in the world, and we know that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. What does our world need right now? Peace. If we are to be people of peace and bringers of peace, wouldn't it stand to reason that when Jesus shows up in a dream and says the harvest is huge and ripe, that all of these people are distressed and helpless and wandering and confused. I'm calling you to be a shepherd to the weary, wandering, and helpless. Bring my people peace. Don't worry about where you'll go tomorrow. Don't worry. Here's what he told the disciples in Matthew chapter 10. Don't take any money. Don't take any food. Don't worry about where you're going to sleep. I've already figured it all out ahead of time. That's what he said in Matthew 10. So God already knows what building we're supposed to be in long term. He already knows what it's supposed to look like. He already, he already knows all of that. So Landon has resolved in his heart to live my life like Jesus. And I'm really glad God's hit the reset button for me. Because when the sheep are scattered, God desires to bring people together. The devil's the one that separates and scatters. When they're weary, distressed, and harassed in Christ, they will find rest for their weary souls. When the sheep are confused, when they're wandering around, not knowing where to go because there's no shepherd to lead them, in Christ, they will find clarity and meaning for their life. So this is the statement that you're going to hear today and throughout the whole series, and I hope that it doesn't just get memorized by you, but that it drops 18 inches and starts to convict your heart. Compassion does not afford us the luxury of inaction. Say it with me out loud. Compassion does not afford us the luxury of inaction. Jesus looked at the people that were coming toward him, and he had just finished, you know, a long work ministry trip. Him and the disciples were actually about to, like, go on vacation and cross this water and hang out at this island. And then all these people show up. Jesus turns and looks at them. The first thing he sees is they're weary, helpless, confused, harassed, his heart filled with compassion. What did that compassion lead to? Action. Action. 
Compassion does not afford us the luxury of inaction. We must act. Because if not us, then who? If not us, then who? There are great churches in this area of San Antonio. And I've had lunch with probably every one of them. They're personal friends of mine. I got two texts this morning from two pastors whose churches are within five minutes drive of here saying, go get them, go get them. Let's plunder hell, go get them. So God's bringing pastors together and the ones who are acting territorial are finding themselves isolated. So God is, God is really building something special and I believe compassion is the fuel that's going to provide action for the weary, confused, helpless, distraught, because the harvest is huge and ripe. Huge and ripe. Every 24 hours, 150,000 people step into eternity without Jesus. So that means since we started church today, everyone's clapping to the pre-roll. Everyone's excited. Since the countdown hit zero, 3,240 people have gone to hell since you've sat in this room. These are your family members, your coworkers, your neighbors. These are your friends. And they live right here. They live right next to you. And this is what pushes me to be the found person who finds people. This is what pushes us to open up our home and invite neighbors into our home. And this is what pushes me to be part of a church that is on mission to accomplish something in the city. Because here's the truth that we know, found people find people. And if you claim to be found, found by Jesus, because you didn't find Jesus, he found you. Holy Spirit's been calling you to repentance. If Jesus found you and you remember all that you've been saved from and the hell that you deserve based on your sin. And if you remember the blood of Jesus that has covered your sin so God sees you as perfect and Jesus puts you in right relationship with the Father, if you're grateful for that and you know that you're a found person, you can't help but find people. But I believe that the church becomes impotent because the found people get comfortable in their being found. And then we make church about us. What kind of music do we like? What does the color of the carpet need to be? What kind of missionaries are we going to support? What kind of ministry should we start? It, we, and then we, we start to create a corral for the sheep that the sheep love to be in. And we repaint the fence a thousand times to please the sheep. We plant different types of grass so the sheep will be happy. And the Bible never tells us to do that. He says, feed my sheep. Feed them. Feed them. Here's what the local church is. The local church is, and I believe this with all my heart, the staff does, this church is based on this, that the local church is God's plan A. There is no plan B. The local church is God's plan A. Plan A. Now, there are lots of great ministries and people that, like, attach themselves to the church. That's all great. I'm not talking about that. But that wasn't God's plan. That's all great. None of that's bad. But Jesus died for the church. The church. And I believe that you're here on purpose to hear a message like this on purpose. Because you and I are the church. That's us. And then after Jesus speaks those powerful words in Matthew chapter 9, 36 through 38, in chapter 10 of Matthew, he's commissioning the disciples. He's, in other words, in Matthew chapter 10, he's giving the disciples their next steps. 
And he's telling them where to go, what cities to go to first. Take this with you. Don't take this with you. You guys group up. You guys group up. Take this route around Samaria. Go. He's giving them all of the next steps. Because I believe this with all my heart. There is always action after compassion. Always. And I'll be as bold to say, if you are not acting, enacting your faith right now, where is your compassion level? Where's your compassion level for people? Does your heart break at that statistic that I'd shared earlier? Or did we automatically get cynical? What was going on in your mind when I shared that with you? Well, does your heart break for people? And here's what I know Jesus is telling us now, John 4, 35. You know the saying, Jesus is talking here. Four months between planting and harvest. That was an idiom, and it was basically saying, we'll get to it later. Four months until planting and harvest. We'll get to it in four months. But I say, Jesus says, wake up. Look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. Kelly and I went to New Mexico on vacation one time, and everything moves a little slower in New Mexico. You're driving 85 miles an hour in Texas, you cross the line, and their speed limit goes down to 55. And you don't know why until you hit a pothole, <laughs> and then you're like, that's why. We finally get to where we're going, and the lady, I, I told Kelly in front of the lady, I said, hey, uh, we got to check in at this time, like we need, to, we need to get a move on. Just trying to keep us moving, right? As all type threes do. So I was like, we got, we got stuff to do. And the lady said, y'all are from Texas, aren't you? And what does a good Texan do? <laughs> yep. <laughs> Ting. She said, I can always tell because you're always in a hurry. She said, we have a saying in New Mexico, ah, manana. <laughs> manana. And a lot of jokes came up in me in that moment to be a really arrogant Texan. I held them all in. You would have been proud of me. Held them all in. But I learned something from that lady that day. Because I think we treat our faith that way. Ah, someone else will do it. Manana. I'll get to it later. I'll go to growth track in like four months. I mean, I got this going on, this going on, this going on. Ah, my life is too busy. Ah, manana. But since you've sat here, 3,000 people have died and gone to hell. So why the manana? Why not now? Why not now? Jesus is saying, not later, now. He said that in John 4. So here's what we do now, very quickly. Here's what we do now. We pray. We pray for workers into the harvest. That's what he told us to do in Matthew 9. Workers in the harvest. Pray for God to cross your path with people who need Jesus and people who need a great church, I believe that God sovereignly put you in your subdivision or your apartment complex on purpose. He puts you there. Pray for God to use you in the harvest. And pray for God to open doors for you to share the gospel. And pray for God to open up doors for your church. Number two, give. Give. And I want to thank everybody who is who sacrificially gave through 2020, who did everything they could to obey God's word, who stayed engaged, all the people, for all the people who called Kelly and I personally and said, what do you need me to do, pastor? What do you need me to do? For all of the people who have done that, thank you. Thank you. You have been on mission with us and you have kept it going. You've kept the dream alive. Your generosity makes the mission of helping people live life on purpose for Jesus a reality. And when you and I give radically and generously, we see awesome things happen in the lives of people who need to be saved. For those of you that are giving to the building fund, thank you. If God gave us, showed us a piece of property right now or a building right now, would we be ready for it? Let's be ready now. Let's be ready now. Because with God, there are no limits 
to what he can do in us and through us as we trust him in faith. Number three, engage. Engage. So pray, give, engage. Engage. No manana today. Today. Engage today. How do you do that? You get on your phone. You go to thepurposechurch.com slash growth track. And you sign up for growth track. I got plans next week. Yes, you do. At the church office with me at 5 o'clock next Sunday, May 16th. Use your life to make a difference in the life of another person. Because before we leave church today, 5,000 people have gone to hell. So we can either say manana or we can look at a map and stand next to Jesus and go, he's right. The harvest is huge and ripe. Huge and ripe. Ephesians 4.12 says that a pastor's calling is to nurture and prepare all of you to do your own works of ministry. And as you do this, you will enlarge and build up the body of Christ. I believe that some of you are the ones that are called to put a location in every demographic area we can find. Maybe some of you will be the ones that take the life-giving message of living life on purpose for Jesus to Marion. What's in Marion? Not a lot. More cows than people right now. But they're calling FM 78 the new I-35. I-35 is going to be a double-decker interstate from 1103 all the way to 410. It's going to take them 20 years to build it. And they've already started construction on it because they tore down my favorite coffee shop to put a bridge in. The harvest is huge and ripe. HEB's buying up all this land on 78. And wherever HEB goes, the Lord goes. <laughs> so we will follow the Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. amen. That's the loudest you've said amen all day. What is wrong with y'all? All right. Number four, invite. Everybody say invite. Invite somebody. And I'm not talking about take a church invitation and stick it in their windshield. Invite somebody. We've got to ask the question, does Jesus want his house empty or full? Well, let's look at Luke 14. It's not a trick question. Luke 14 Go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Invite everybody you know to experience a life-giving relationship with Jesus. Because there are people who need to come alive in the name of Jesus. And we either believe this is a house of miracles or we believe this is just a cool place for you to end up and go into church. But I believe that we are people of faith with a big vision that's bigger than any of us, a vision that's from God that will outlive any of us, and that God sovereignly put you here on purpose to use your gifts and talents to make a difference in the life of another person, and that there will be a spiritual family tree of people in heaven that will be able to come to you and say, I met Jesus because you invited my grandpa to church. That entire family trees will completely change in the name of Jesus because you said yes. I wonder if you could relate to the dream I had and you're standing here with Jesus. Do you feel just as convicted as I do? That I've been focusing on the wrong thing for too long? And now it's time to engage. It's time to engage. Let's be on mission together. I invite you to be on mission with us. To be a part of what God is doing. To be a part of making a difference in the life of another person. To see San Antonio and beyond look like heaven. Can it be done? Absolutely, it can be done. We can turn the tide of everything the devil is planning 
if we engage. If we say, ah, manana, someone else will do it. I'm not, I'm not called to that. Someone else will handle it. No, 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 no. Everything you do makes a massive difference in the life of another person. Kelly and I have no interest in building big buildings. We're not contractors. I, I, I have no interest in doing that. I, I have, we have no interest in building a church that's the talk of the town and putting our face on a billboard. Have no interest in doing that. Nobody wants to see this 30 feet high on the highway. That would cause a lot of wrecks. Nobody wants to see that. I have no interest in popularity. I have no interest in any of that. What I have an interest in is building local churches in every demographic zone we can find. It starts with you. Let's be on mission together. Let's be on mission together. I'm going to ask Crystal to come up and sing part of that song we sang at the end. And I want us to engage our faith with this song. I want us to engage our faith with the lyrics of this song. And just start at the first verse, Crystal, because I think the words are so meaty. Why don't y'all stand up with me? We're getting ready to end today. put in us, we call it out of us, and we call it for what it is, and we remove it from our life in Jesus' name. All of the apathy and the indifference and all the manyanas, we call all of that out and call it for what it is, and we remove it from our life in Jesus' name. God, would you burden our heart for the lost? Would you burden our heart for the half a million people that are within a five-minute drive of this building? God, would our heart break with compassion for our neighbors, for our t-ball coaches, for our friends, for our babysitters. God, would our heart break with compassion and would it move us to action in Jesus' name? Would we no longer be content with complacency? 
where we no longer allow somebody else to do our job, where we no longer sit and warm a chair on Sunday and do nothing. God, would you make us burn with passion and be filled with compassion to make a difference in the life of another person. God, would this church be known in hell as a church that is plundering hell and taking souls from darkness into light. God, would you use us to populate heaven to make a difference in the life of another person? Would there be a revival of repentance in our area because of what you're doing in us first? God, use us. Use us. Use us. Use us to make a difference for the one. Use us to reach the one. One life at a time. One life lived on purpose at a time. Use us. Use us. Come on, just lift your hands and sing that again. Come alive. In the name of Jesus, come alive. Come on, sing like someone who's been brought to life. This is a house of God is filling you up with passion right now for his we word and his name. God, give them a vision. Give them dreams. Fill them with compassion. Give them their next steps. God, would we obey when you say move? Would we move when you say move? Would we move when you say move? Come alive in Jesus' name. listening to the Purpose Church podcast. If God uses this message to impact your life, tell us your story by emailing mystory@thepurposechurch.com. Be sure to follow us on social media and check out our website at thepurposechurch.com to get connected and receive all the latest information.